Hello and welcome to Everyday Eternal number 100. Uh, deine favorite most. I, I, my German stops there. I can say, can I have a ghost beer bitter? And fick um, <laughs> dich. Uh, are we allowed to say that? Is this a PG 13 for Germans? Dude, I actually I have no idea how any of these things work. <laughs> <laughs> I, ju I just picked the highest rating we can pick on on uh, Audible and not not Audible. Yeah, we're not that big yet on uh, mm -hmm. iTunes. Uh, just so we never get in trouble. But I have no idea. But yeah, hello everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of Everyday Eternal, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly podcast. Today's show is brought to you by all of you who made all of this possible, but especially by our brand new Patreon, P. Bryanty. And this is this is the big announcement, right? Every 100 episodes, we're going to switch to a different language. So going forward, this is going to be a German <laughs> podcast. Callum. Wie gefällt dir das? Ja. Ja. <laughs> Just nod and smile and hope it wasn't a question. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I've done that a few times. Like, I've been to Germany, I honestly, 30, 40 times for mostly music festivals and stuff. And um, I should know more, and I, I've been planning to like learn more for years because I do use it a lot. But I know the bare minimum to get around, but it very often turns into, once you have, like, 10 points or so, you're just like... You just need to know how to ask for a beer and that's it. And then whenever they say something, you do just like nod and say, yeah, I like, hope it's not a question. <laughs> and you, yeah. you often get some stupid looks like, like not they're stupid, like they you think you're an idiot. Yeah, I remember when I was in the US, uh, in the US, in, in the UK, in Bristol for my student exchange in eighth grade, I, my, I guess student exchange parents, they kept asking me whether I want to sleep in my own bed or sleep in the same bed as my student exchange partner. And I only kept saying, oh, never mind. And what I actually <laughs> wanted to say is, I don't mind. Yeah, but I didn't, yeah. like, I didn't really get the difference. And they looked at me like, did we just get like a defunct guy? Like, did he, did he, he's not really able to, to, to talk to us. But yeah, that, that was the first time I actually came into contact with British culture, like on the ground. And it has shaped me forever. I even went and away. it's but, brilliant, yeah, but, isn't it? You learn, now, now you know everything. You know about the Wigan Kebab. Um, you know about the Wellstone Raider. Yeah, you know, I still want to go to Liverpool because in Liverpool, I, they speak in a weird way. I mean, you already have like weird language, uh, dialects, but yeah, this is, yeah <laughs> Liverpool is the next thing up. Uh, yeah. But what have you been up to, man? What, what have you done in preparation of celebration of the 100th episode of well, your favorite most? I was about to podcast? interrupt and say I... Like, uh, I just joined the chat and started talking. I just started singing and then he started recording and I haven't even opened a beer yet. So I haven't prepared. I've been pretty badly prepared. So I'm going to open a beer this second. I'm going to get a Dark Arts Surreal Stout. And uh, cheers. It's really called Dark Arts? Yeah, it's called Dark Arts Surreal okay. Stout by Magic Rock Brewing. It's absolutely delicious. And I'm going to toast it to you and the rest of the... And Matt, who couldn't join us tonight, and the rest of the original members for a hundred episodes, which is a massive achievement, really. Like it's been going. I'll need to depend on you for the real hard-hitting stats and stuff. But it's been going for a very long time. Like I remember listening. <laughs> you you to... got the wrong guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got the guy well, who can go like this. Whoa! <laughs> nice. I've never clinked. I've never clinked my my wine bottle against my wine nice. glass and that was pretty I good actually for first that actually cost like a giant wave and i was just lucky yeah. it didn't spill on me yeah well i've got our our um podcast chat open 18 minutes ago you say matt actually i never asked how did e start <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> spill the beans so you're right you're right <laughs> 
I mean, I, I know quite a bit about about the history of the podcast, but the one thing I actually didn't know, but you, you know what, we're actually going to bring that up next time Matt is on the podcast, is why did it start? Like, I, I could guess because there weren't really any legacy podcasts around back then. Um, I hope I'm I'm not like misrepresenting things and people are going to be like, no, I had this podcast that had two episodes <laughs> and a half that we released on my private web space on MySpace. And like, okay, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds like a reasonable guess, though. Yeah, um, well, that's at least we put it in our logo, right? Established 2013. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is this is how it came about. And we talk a little bit about the history. And later on, also, I selected a couple of clips from the history of the podcast where we've been either like hilariously wrong, but also a couple of them that I picked because I think they really put things into perspective. If you only came into the format like in the last couple of years, uh, there, there were a couple of clips where especially Matt was talking about how the metagame should adjust from like 2013 to 2014. And I, I, I picked those to point out to yeah, basically to, to frame the history of the legacy, of the legacy, of legacy in some kind of context. But yeah, most hilariously, we're going to look at all the cards that we said are totally unplayable and that you should skip over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm excited for that. There's some really good stuff in there. There's some stuff which is like we can take a really good lesson from and we can learn it for future um, card evaluations, but some stuff is just fantastic. <laughs> awesome. So be- before we jump to that, uh, we ask our Discord, if you want to join the Discord, by the way, patreon.com slash channel to submit a couple of questions for us to answer on the podcast. And in typical Everyday Eternal fashion, we sent that call for questions out like half an hour before we actually started recording, but we still get a ton of them. We got loads, and they're really fantastic. I think they've been like brewing these and just waiting for the call because there's some stuff which I, I was reading. I was like, God, that's a really good question. I don't really even know, and I don't want to dwell on it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to answering. Them. <laughs> I'm going to defer it to Julian because he's been on the podcast the longest. Actually, Matt has been on the podcast the longest, <laughs> and Julian is like, actually, let's just just ask Matt, who's not here tonight. Perfect. <laughs> Matt has <laughs> Matt has got so drunk in celebration of the 100th episode, they actually had to airlift him to I don't know Vancouver or something. Yeah, too many, um, too many needle stabbings in the face. <laughs> but before we get into that, um, Callum, what, what have you been playing? What have you been up to? Yeah, um, last couple of weeks have been pretty chill on the non-magic side. Um, you know, just quick update on everything. We are like still looking very good uh, here. Um, we've, I've been meeting up with lots of friends outside now. And in a few weeks, we get to start meeting up uh, inside. So I think I have some cube in my sights and... Um, yeah, that's that's another thing. But um, I've been pl- going back to Espimentor. I uh, I played a little bit of Elves last week, and deck's always good. Got a trophy with it and stuff, and a few four ones. Um, but then I just kind of fancy playing at Espimentor again. I think I played two or three leagues this week, and kind of trying some new things out and testing some different options. And it just like it has one really bad matchup in Moonstompy, but then it's beating almost everything else. So. I don't know. I can't. I can't tell like how good it is still, but um, it's performing well. And I've, I've started, I've started <laughs> I'm writing reading up some... everything except Moonstumpy, but I can't say how good it is. <laughs> well, no, because like it. it's. I like it, man. Yeah, it's 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 not meant to be a humble brag. I promise. It's like uh, still a small sample size, and I don't know. Like other people aren't playing the deck, and I take that as a sign that people are trying and not doing very well with it. Um, and well, I I, ha- I do lose to Delver sometimes. I think Rug Delver is actually quite close. But uh, generally, it's performing pretty well, so I'm going to keep testing it out. Uh, I started writing some sideboard notes. There's a there's a um, subsection of the Miracles Discord where we have our Espimento channel now. So if anyone's interested in the deck and talking about it, um, I posted like a Google Doc of some sideboard guides this morning, and I will continue to to add to it. Wait, and, 
you you didn't make a, your own dedicated Discord for that. You 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 know well, that reminds me of how like the, the real like the real action. You know how there's the big community and you gotta be in the know about where things go down. And mm-hmm. apparently, one of those places where things really go down is in the lands Discord in the oh, dark yeah. depth subsection, which is like oh. the place to be if you want to be in the know. And like it took that me years to fantastic. understand that. So. <laughs> the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven posts in there are. Someone said, "Dumb thought." Has anyone turned one turned one Elvis Spirit Guide Exile into Veil of Summer in response to a Black Discard spell? And the the next posts are yes, 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 yes. Yup, nope. And I was the nope. You guys should have a say. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant stuff. But uh, no, the, the the it's called the Depths Memes and Dreams chat. And um, it's kind of been dead for a little, or it's been quiet for a little while because uh, Tom Hep's been uh, not playing very much, and he's he's the backbone of the memes and dreams. I'll have to say it, but it's a good place. Well, he, he's going to come back once I send him his everyday channel shirt. Yes, I hope so. And he just needs like he needs the fire. He needs to be able to. I need to put up a fight against him because he always beats me, and that's the running thing. And if I try and put up a fight, maybe he'll get the energy to come back. <laughs> but uh, jokes aside, uh, yeah. Experimental being having fun, putting like Jay's Friends Prodigy recently to keep trying it out. It's really fun to like discard a mentor and then unearth it back on turn three. Dude, you, so you, cool. you keep going the cube route. The cube route? Like you, yeah, you you keep going down like the things that people do in cube, and then eventually oh, somebody legacy is going to come along and, you know, <laughs> like Grizzlebrand you in the first turn, and you're like, but I have this mentor and off one mine yeah. and Baleful Strikes, and they're like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I. In a league last night, I was 4-0 and all 2-0 wins. And then in the last round, I played against Reanimator. And they just completely grizzlebranded me so hard. <laughs> so exactly what you described. But yeah. seriously, that's actually something I've been thinking about last night. Because when I was um, doing some work, uh, I-, I wanted to have something on the side. And I was actually thinking about whether I should just play Black Red Reanimator. Just so, you know, go quickly through a bunch of things and, and be like, hey, how good is this going to be? I ended up not doing it because I'm in love with Delva now. But mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder how good Black Red Reanimator is right now. Um, I also, think it's like, okay. Graveyard hate. It's weird it's just to say, okay. well... Yeah, I don't really have a good reason why it's less than, less than okay, actually. <laughs> um, it, it was very good against this deck because all my like good interaction is two mana with like meddling mages and stuff. But I guess people are probably playing more surgicals than usual because it's decent against Uro, is my guess. So you you want people to be playing like Rest in Peace uh, as a hate with this kind of deck. So And they're not really. Yeah, That's, that's my guess. I'm not yeah. really sure. I mean, everybody should just play Blue Red Diver anyway, dude. Yeah. So, we, we talked well, about Blue Red Diver and Maverick on the last episode with Dukes. So this is what you've been I doing, I guess. Com- yeah, I initially committed to uh, D- uh, Maverick, but as we kept talking about Java, I was like, okay, I really got to pick up this Blue Red Diver deck, and it's been amazing. I think I I trophied the first two out of three leagues I played in the other league. I went like four and one. Nice. And it's so much fun. Like, I've always loved Java. Like, people know me for Maverick and Elves, but Java is basically, like, the second greatest thing for me to do in, in, mm. in Legacy other than, you know, playing a mid-range deck with a combo finish. And it's so much fun. Like, I can't get enough of the Sprite Dragon thing. Like, seriously. that I put it down in our notes. There's no god other than Diver and Sprite Dragon. It's Prophet. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so in love with Sprite Dragon. It's, it play, it's really it plays like into a, your, like, your playstyle because you you like having a very aggressive or proactive plan. And to punish stumbling, basically. Yeah, exactly. I, I want my opponents to to fear me to be, like, not for personal reasons, but for gameplay reasons, I think, when people <laughs> are put to bad decisions. yeah, I, I just want to create as many possible scenarios where people are like, okay, if I guess right, it's 50-50, and if I guess wrong, it's devastating for me. And I think 
Derva can create those scenarios. And dude, I, I just love that. It, it's basically like a flying haste uh, Tarmogolf in a way. Um, strategically, I've had several games actually where I, I just needed to build like a 4 4 or 5 5 Sprite Dragon. And I felt like, oh, wow, now I'm almost like the control deck. And whenever they try to touch it, I just force it. It's so easy. And eventually, yeah. Spellbelly comes out while Ether Forager. I, I can't keep singing the praises of the stack and i'm so excited to see how this new card is going to perform um i was about to ask you have I'm you sure played you're... expressive iteration i have played against it and i've counted mm-hmm. it every time i could so i guess it's good. yeah <laughs> I, I was watching anorag stream with it last night and um i don't know i was kind of skeptical but it, it clearly has some very high upside it can be a draw three later in the game i think it's kind of like a draw two from about turn two probably turn three onwards i mean so that's pretty powerful, and it pitches to force, which is, I know it's a meme, but it's actually pretty legit. When you have your slow card advantage card, is is pitchable, Wait, if you have like multiples. How do you how do you turn it into into draw three? Like, you, you get one card, you can play the other card from exile, and how do you get the third card? Uh, two is the same as three in England. We have some weird number things. Uh, you know, oh, okay. Don't okay, you have yeah, that in Germany, where two is like three? Well, how about this? How about this? <laughs> if 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 the card you put on the bottom was a land, you don't have to draw that land. Oh, okay. So you're basically saying thought score is yeah. like a draw three as well. Exactly. Now, <laughs> yeah, now you get it. Yeah, you're learning the ways of the Delver here. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, the, uh, the Callum School of Deck Building. <laughs> we, we'll open up um, uh, courses very soon for sign up. <laughs> I, I guess they're going to sell out. You know, it's it's like of one mind is draw three. <laughs> Every single time, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how it works. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm definitely gonna be on Derva for for a long time. And actually, that sex by sex waste quite um, smoothly into Testacular's question because Testacular is asking, what does it take to dethrone Derva? And I have a lot of thoughts about that. But why don't you go first? Yeah, um, I have thought about this as well. I'm actually in a bit of a like a downswing with the deck. I'm personally just really, really tired of it. I think this is especially true because of COVID, and I'm a, I've only been playing online. Um, I would I would usually play like every single week at my local game store, and there's a couple of Delver players, of course, but it's generally a lot more casual, and you just do whatever, really. Um, online, the players gravitate to, quote-unquote, the best thing, which very often is Delver, or it's one of the best things. And they're just... I've played against it so much now. Um, I haven't even played Legacy as long as you or a lot of other people. But I'm I'm in a bit of a, a position where I'm just kind of really tired of the play patterns. But I think I'll get out of it. Maybe it's based on the decks I'm playing as well. Maybe I just need to play it myself for a bit. But um, right now, the power level of the deck is not too good. I'm very confident in that. Um, I think this is the first time in a while it's been like this, probably since um, GP Niagara, um, I would guess. But... Um, yeah, we don't have like a Dreadhood Arcanist or Oko or Lurus or whatever, um, or Renin Six. We, we just have like good aggressive decks. We have the Uro and Sylvan Library version, which is like the one true card advantage grindy Delver build, I think. Um, but that's easier to attack. You, you have ways of dealing with that. It's not as oppressive as the other now banned cards. So yeah, we, we're looking at like Blue Red Delver. Yep, Expressive Iteration is a pretty good grindy card. Um, the Whale is a good grindy card. But they're. They're easier to answer. Like Pyroblast is now just very good against the deck again, like especially good. So um, 
yeah, I'm fine with the deck, but I think to dethrone Delver, it, it now at this point, there's so many options of threats. Like, you're, you're not seeing every deck play Young Pyromancer. You're not seeing every deck play Green for Tarmogoyf. Like, the options are, are big now. In the past, Blue Red Delver struggled with options for threats. Like, you, you had people playing Monastery Suspiria in every single version um, because it was just one of the better things to do. Now you won't see it at all. So to dethrone Delver, I think you have to, like, Ban, Delver, Days, or like Ponder and or Preordain. It's got to be something like that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, but, the deck is here to yeah. stay, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It'll just create moments like me. I'm pretty sure in like two weeks I'll be over it. But yeah, how do you feel? I actually, I, I, I'm still not sure whether you're trying to say that you are tired of playing against the deck or whether you think the deck is not as good as it used to be. Like the deck archetype driver. I'm, I'm really tired of both. playing against okay, the, okay. the play patterns. But I think um, the deck is probably the weakest it's been in the last two years, which is a nice thing. Actually, that's that's a good point, right? Uh, also, when we had stuff like, you know, Ren Six around, gave it a huge boost, yeah. So yeah. what I'm thinking is, um, I when we talk about dethrone Delva, right, it's not what does it take to beat Delva, but we're talking more about, like, general metagame shifts, which usually means, like, either coming up with a new deck, new printings or bannings, or I guess technically unbannings, but there's not really anything. And... I think that's just like no such thing as dethroning the premier tempo deck of Legacy because that's, I guess I keep saying that on almost every other episode, but I think that's just like the defining characteristic of any non-rotating format is that there's going to be some kind of tempo deck and that deck will always be tier one. But I don't know whether it's going to be the best deck because that's just like whatever, but there's always going to be some kind of tempo deck that's going to define everything else that's going on in the format. Like, we've got these resources, card advantage and tempo, and almost like if you look at it as as, as a matrix created by that, Dava is going to limit how deep you can go into neglecting tempo and how deep you can go into, you know, playing for card advantage. Well, what flies, what doesn't fly. And that's why I always say, like, the printing of Dava has changed the card economics and uh, also tempo economics of Legacy uh, more significantly than any other printing in the format. I guess Days and, and Wasteland were already a thing when the format was created. So I think there's no such thing as dethroning Delva through decisions that we are to make. And the only thing that, like, if 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 that's what you wanted to do, it's, um, I mean, people have been talking about Days bands, people have been talking about Delva bands. I mean, <laughs> I even mentioned it in the most recent uh, MTG Goldfish article where I was invited to a roundtable. But I think, overall, Delva is like, like you mentioned, it's in the weakest spot it's been in years. And maybe that's actually why I enjoyed it. I don't know. <laughs> it, it could be. I, but, I, think, I think it's still very powerful, to be clear. Like, it's clearly tier one, like one of, if not the best deck. But it's, it, feels, it feels like almost relaxing that it's not so oppressive, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I I, I think it's it, the the question of whether you could or should dethrone Delva. It's probably not something you should really concern yourself with because the only other times when Delva, when it was actually even just like called into question whether Delva is tier one or the best deck in the first place, were times where stuff you know significantly broke, like Underworld Breach. I don't know. I think I think, um, I think Breach is the only time in the last two years that Delva hasn't been like the best deck. Yeah, and, and even looking back further, like I guess Top Miracles had a case to be yeah, made. I, the, I don't even know which miracles, Delva deck was the best. Like, Omnitel, actually, maybe not. Grixis Delva probably was better than Omnitel. Um, yeah. There was, there was like, when uh, Daniel won GP Niagara with Blue White Stoneblade, like, weirdly, Delva felt kind of tier two ish then. 
but that that format was not very well defined. It wasn't it wasn't around for very long. Is that because Daniel won and Jerry made top eight at the GP? That's why you're saying the format wasn't very well defined. Got it, it was. What happened around then? It was kind of like, did we did we just get something banned or something? I can't remember now. Yeah. I don't know. There was a big snowstorm and nobody could get to Buffalo and even fewer yeah. people made it to Niagara. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't like put too much into a single tournament and, and try to like no. reconstruct the meta game but, from there. But I do remember, I remember playing online around that time and it was like, I can't remember. They just didn't have good cards. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Everybody forgot about Brainstorm. You yes, know how exactly. Daenerys forgot about like yeah. the, the Ironborn fleet and stuff. Yeah, that's how it worked. <laughs> Uh, awesome so moving on Achilles has sent us another question and with that we're going to segue into the entire history of the podcast at least from what we can reconstruct Achilles is asking I would really like to know about the history of Everyday Eternal when and how it started how each of you got involved what you consider to be the best part of the show and experience and second question also not exactly related to maybe a different episode uh, but what podcasts do you all listen to what resources do you go rely on to grow in the game okay so basically what resources are we using um but why don't we start with the second question um i'm actually loading up my podcast thingy here to see mm -hmm. which i mean I, i'm listening to a lot of podcasts not all of them legacy related but so basically just going through it for me is uh, i listen to a lot of humans of magic um but I, actually now that i think about it i'm subscribed to a lot of these podcasts but i never really listen to every one of the episodes it's just like a time thing um yeah I when there's like, like an episode well. that really yeah that, that's interesting for example like the most recent living a legacy i listened to okay i'm halfway through facebook beefs <laughs> because like <laughs> I, i'm i'm really living through the facebook memes that they post mm -hmm. uh but i don't listen to every episode of that um elo hunters elo punters i usually listen to when they do release an episode eternal glory when they have like an interesting topic i like to look into um that, there's a couple more i got the, the dead format i got the canadian trash like, there's so so many right yeah. um but i, I have all of them as well and I don't get to listen to every single episode, but it's again the same as you. Whenever I have time, I uh, like open it up and go to the last one, with, which like catches my eye. I try and listen to them all. Um, yeah, other resources like my way I've like consumed MTG content, I guess, has really changed over the years. So at the very beginning, uh, Everyday Eternal was one of the big ones I listened to. The Brainstorm Show I listened to a lot and stuff, and I would watch like every any Legacy stream because they were a lot less fre frequent back then. Um, Mark Koenig was one of like the first legacy streamers. He was gay Jesus of Nazareth, I believe. And he was like the only person you could watch. I watched loads of D&T from him back then. But these days I actually watch a lot of non-legacy streamers because my focus at the moment is like trying to bolster parts of the game I'm not that good at. So I think I'm pretty bad at combat still which is like a classic legacy thing um i play a lot of limited so it's I'm a classic it. former miracles player thing okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I play i play everything now i'll, I'll uh, refute that but i've been really playing loads of limited the last couple of years to like strengthen general game heuristics and uh one of the streamers i watch most now is wyatt darby he's um he just explains how to play magic incredibly well in my opinion so i watch streamers that i think are just really good and formats come second to me currently that could change again soon, but um, yeah, my interests in Legacy are like, uh, I, I like new, interesting, weird decks and stuff, so I'm always looking for that on Twitter and stuff, but there's not a huge amount of people playing them and stuff, so yeah, I'm bolstering wackiness with type play from better players. 
That's a bit like that. Did you watch the Chateau Neuf du Pat on my stream? Of course. That's, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's that's a good deck played by a terrible player. So it's it's like the opposite of what I like to enjoy. But um, you know, I gave it a go. Ooh, shots fired! I think I still went <laughs> like three and two or something. Spoiler alert! But it was it was impressive actually. Like I love the uh, turn one vineyard, turn two control magic. Your monastery mentor. <laughs> that's that's how it was built that way, right? That's at least yeah. that's what I did used after playing the deck for like the very first game. Just good. It, deck you, you set the trap, and then the trap hits them. They're like, yeah. "No, my mentor." <laughs> um, Patrick is also just to like go off topic for a second. He's also made a deck called Bouncy Castle. Um, where he has like Leyland of Singularity, so everything is legendary and plays loads of Caracases. And so he's given it to Peter White, who is power 22, and he's like made some changes. So he's playing Four Agent of Treachery and uh, like Lay Claims as well, so things that just like take stuff. And he's playing four Show and Tells. So you play Show and Tell, your opponent puts in the best thing, and then you put in your Agent of Treachery and steal it. And then you Caracas the Agent back again. <laughs> it's the most trolley deck. But uh, yeah, yeah this, some... this is the kind of legacy you want to play, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, going back to the first yeah. question, um, when and how did it start? I think we're actually just going to go into a breakdown of the history of Everyday Channel that I've pieced together here. So, the podcast itself, the first episode, it was called Alpha and Introduction, aired on June 12th. 2013 so this year it's gonna be the eighth anniversary and the podcast was created by three og players from the us and one uh, by a good friend matt pavlik from vancouver the american players were sam craven jacob corey and sean o'brien and i i'm not sure why they created the podcast but i'm sure matt will have a lot to say about that on the, on the next thing and yeah they going back there i re- like I mentioned earlier, right, there didn't really used to be a lot of podcasts and especially not a lot of competitive-focused podcasts about legacy specifically. I remember when I was in university, one of the podcasts I listened to was called The Magic Sock. And, dude, I have no idea, but I listened to, like, a hundred episodes of that and it was just, like, a guy in his basement and he, like, pretended to be a sock, I don't know, and he, he talked, <laughs> like, about casual magic and was just, yeah, it was, like, endearing. It was, like, really cool. Uh, just, just, like, wasn't competitive on Legacy or anything. But I'm just mentioning that to give you an idea how how there was really nothing really to listen to, right? And I guess Everyday Eternal back then when, when those guys created it, it kind of tried to fill that void that was the podcasting landscape with regards to Legacy. And, yeah, that's almost eight years later. Here we are today. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, it used to be so different. Like I mentioned before, there was just like no s- legacy streams to watch. It was partly because legacy on Magic Online was like, ridiculously expensive as well, I think. But, yeah, uh, the, I remember when like Orem's Chan was like $120 a piece mm-hmm. and or same Port, for Port hit like 200 tickets at one point. Yeah. Dude, there, was, there was a time where for one Reshaden port, you could get two playsets of Power 9 on Magic Online. Like, what the fuck? Uh, mental, one playset of, of, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People don't realize how nice it is now compared to the before times. Especially with rental services now, right? Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. Revolutionary. Awesome. So yeah, then the podcast went on. Um, I, I went back to a couple of the early episodes and holy shit, production quality, right? But I guess that's what that was the best standard that we had back then. And that's what people do. So over the years, it, it changed. And then in 2014, two people were added as co-hosts, Bob Wong and one Julian Knapp. <laughs> I don't know about this guy, but he was added after his uh, victory at Bazaar of Mox in 2013. And I remember I 
kind of used to be like a guest in almost every other episode and eventually like when the other guys didn't have as much time to to come on the show i was like there all the time so eventually i just you know you know i'm, I'm like that that friend you have who comes crushing cr uh crushing on your couch and <laughs> yes. he just like never leaves and they're like yeah i guess he lives fine here now. <laughs> you live here now god damn it okay <laughs> and then apparently we also added bob uh I, I, like i was around back then but i still have no idea why we added bob but i mean bob is bob bob warren Uh, he, he's a host of uh, Elo Panthers now, and yeah, he, he was just like around. Uh, honestly, now Bob was incredibly competitive back then and for many years to come afterwards, so I'm not surprised he did that, and he's like an awesome guy. So that was 2014. Julian and Bob joined the podcast. Then 2016, the podcast went off on kind of like a hiatus after episode 44. Um, most of the original hosts, except for Matt, didn't really play as much Magic anymore, and I think the podcast also became a little less competitively focused and we talked a lot about how like brainstorm is the shit and needs to go and everything. And, you know, you can only do that for so long until it gets old. So yeah, the podcast after 44 episodes went on a hiatus one and a half years later. So I don't know if that counts as a continuous podcast. <laughs> I, I just like picked it up from Sam and it was like, you know what, we got to... The numbers are in a row. It counts. Yeah, it's, it's the next year, right? <laughs> so... 2017 i was like you know what we're gonna revive this um actually i, I rephrased it I, i want to say we resumed this we didn't revive it it never died <laughs> i guess that's for marketing purposes we're gonna phrase it like that so yeah i take our production to 2017 at that point it's matt bob and me this is where everything goes wrong <laughs> it just gets awesome. worse in 2020 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it gets even worse right yeah. but yeah this is what it says in the show notes <laughs> 2019 we actually added uh, eric landon as a co-host as matt didn't really have a lot of time to come on the show all the time anymore i had previously met eric a couple months earlier in beijing for the Uh, for the Beijing Orlov Legacy Tournament. We hung out there and, yeah, just, like, made sense, right? Eric has a lot of really precise opinions about Legacy and, uh, you know, we need people like that. Uh, it's actually funny when I look back at the previous review episodes, I think Eric has the most outspoken opinions about a lot of cards. And that's actually something that made me think maybe I should do that as well, to be more outspoken about uh, what I think about cards. Because, you know, you... you When you review a card, you always have that urge to be like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe this. Or maybe that. And Eric's like, no, this is crap. Like, psh, get it out of here. Psh, psh, psh. Just and... put it card. Just dice the bolt. <laughs> How bad is it, right? Yeah. If your opponent attacks with a Dread Arcanist, that's, that's going to be bad. <laughs> so, yeah, towards the end of 2019, um, we actually decided to sell Bob Wang on the, on the transfer market. We put him out and Elo Hunter sent an offer. And we were like, you know what, Bob? gotta be gone you got a podcast with your best friends from from the u.s and yeah this is this is actually how we funded the podcast for the entire year of 2020 <laughs> <laughs> it was he was just sold for fees at the first year and now he's probably gone. actually for a couple of bottle of wines yeah yeah good deal no oh, actually we, we collect royalties on every episode of elo pantas where bob says something smart <laughs> <laughs> uh you, you're laughing now but actually that's how it works but nobody would ever believe it <laughs> because well, you made no money because you never said anything smart let's uh, see that's the thing that, no, that's hollywood accounting oh like yeah. a lot of the rings never heard about it we lost a lot of money on it <laughs> <laughs> then 2020 eric goes on hiatus not only from everyday eternal but also from streaming and magic in general and yeah this is where one calem smith actually ends up joining a podcast he had been on the show previously i think episode 50 something where i think, I think i'd I had talked to... about I had the sofa situation that you did as well. I, I feel like I was on like 
every other episode for three-ish and then you were like come on <laughs> you, oh yeah pr- pretty much right I, I think we had you on like the very first time was about about phoenix and then yeah. every other episode we had you around we're like you know what let's just make this official <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah ever since it's been you matt and me uh 2020 going strong we just did the 100th episode by the way if, <laughs> if that comes as a surprise to you open my bottle of wine <laughs> yeah oh my god i already had like way too much and now we now we've dedicated the next hundred episodes. According to our Discord, I was called out on this. The next hundred episodes are going to be dedicated to all my punts, which I think is not enough time to cover them. But you know, they seem to believe it. So, uh, yeah. And also, I guess we are we really going to speak German? We, we figured out. Ah, dude. <laughs> I thought you were going to like auto translate this after we finish recording. Dude, I actually I have been on German podcasts twice, and every time I started speaking English, when I was asking, I was like, oh no, wait. <laughs> Slow, slow down. Let's do it differently. <laughs> so yeah, this is the, the history of Everyday Eternal up to 2021. We have no idea how deep we'll go, whether we'll hit the 1,000. I have no idea how that's going to work. Maybe, you know, <laughs> if we ever hit 1,000. Is there actually any legacy podcast or magic podcast that has hit 1,000? I think the, the most legacy is maybe podcast? legacy with like 400 and something. Dude, Cherry I, I and be, Patrick. They, they knock so it out consistent. every other week. Yeah. Isn't it every week, actually? Is it every week? It could be. Uh, I'm going to look I'm it up pretty now. sure it's every week. They, they have like almost like 400 episodes or something. Yeah, it must be every other week. I mean, every week, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what numbers are. I told you we have weird ones in England. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, about that. <laughs> Facebook beefs is the last episode. And 335. That's still a hell of a lot. Yeah, you know, maybe we do like three episodes a week, and everyone, is, every one of them is like twenty minutes or something. Yeah, <laughs> okay. but let's let let's see how that's gonna work. Um, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to see where this is gonna go going forward. And going back to Achilles' question, because that's actually really interesting to me. It made me think a lot about why I like the podcast so much. Achilles is asking about the best part of the show, and there's many things, and one episode especially that I really enjoy. But before we get into that. To me, Everyday Eternal has always been about two things. And I think we kind of succeed. Actually, no, I wanted to make more stronger statements, right? We do succeed at doing that. Oh, my God, that feels so full of myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, better you do it than me. I'm, I'm very careful with what I say like that. Like, I'm always like, mm, maybe, okay, maybe it's okay. You do you it. You know, maybe on. I'm just going to be the bold one and you, you can do the rest. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Everyday Eternal has always been about two things. One thing is we want to be about the competitive stuff we really want to talk about what it is like what's happening in the format and and not try to like sugarcoat things and be like oh you know what nick fit it's gonna be okay uh, sorry thomas by the way if you're listening to this <laughs> wait wait what but no i'm not i didn't sign up for this i am not gonna have nick fit slandered on this podcast no okay okay we'll, Death we'll taxes, find something else. on the other hand <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry carry on it's the death and texas theme podcast no but seriously this is this is the one big thing and i especially noticed it towards the end of the initial period up until episode 44 where i think we started becoming a lot more casual and less competitive focused which was just like a natural thing because most of the hosts didn't really play anymore and that's what i always want to maintain because that's what the podcast is here for i think if you if you want to have like more like casual stuff there's a lot of podcasts out there but i still want to be the guy who knows what he's talking about or at least knows enough that he can make a statement and think that that's actually true and not be like in a position where i'm like oh i think this is how it works and that's how it works like i i, I want to be in a position where 
if I say something about the format, I can either say this is the way it is, or I can <laughs> I can say I don't know and not feel bad about myself because I'm not saying that all the time. And this is this is maybe one of the two core aspects of Everyday Journal that I really want to maintain in the show. The second one is just being the casual hangout and shit-talking Callum. <laughs> That's just really where I want to be. I want to shit-talk about, <laughs> about that weird island that Matt bought a house on. Actually, it's not even a house, and I think he didn't even buy it. But you, you, you get the idea, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to be like too concerned about what I say or whether I'm wrong. Just have that casualness to to do the competitiveness that's really really hard to do so what what i've always enjoyed in legacy is letting the cards speak for you um and then you can be like you can be casual and joke and joke around and stuff but then to prove that you know what you're talking about as well you can do well at this game that we're preaching and talking about and to prove that we do win as well which i think we both do we play a lot of magic online and win enough so we can back up these claims but also just chat shit about each other at every opportunity that's pretty much it right so in mm-hmm. in essence i want to be competitive but in form i want to be casual and that's that's the beauty of it yeah so you, you try and be competitive <laughs> like you're given these broken decks like chateauneuf du pape and uh you, you kind of screw it up you three one which is you know, a bit disappointing to be honest. Um, expected more on this podcast. When I signed up, I thought I was signing up with a good player, but you know, you have time to grow. This is just episode 100, and there's going to be 900 more at least. So I hope by the end of it, we can 6 <laughs> 0 with Chateauneuf du Pat. Awesome. Awesome. So, one specific episode I actually want to mention that to me has been one of the most important episodes in the development of this podcast. Okay, those are big words, right? That's episode number 30. Seven. It used to be called The Miracle Man. I think we later renamed it to Talking Miracles. And that, at the time, and probably maybe even in the entire history of the podcast, has been the most competitive-focused episode ever. We talked two hours about Miracles. I think a lot of people are already falling asleep. I was on the show. Um, we had Philipp Schöniger on the show. We had Thomas Flatschek on the show. Uh, I think Matt was on the show. And Sam Craven might have been on the show. And that was one of those episodes where I really realized, dude, this is such an amazing episode where we really break down not only the deck, the primer, but also like the matchups, everything, and was so thry, like, I don't know, it was, it was overflowing with competitiveness while still having a bunch of people just hanging out. And this is where I really first realized, dude, this is what I want the podcast to be about. And if if you can handle the bad production, like, I, I don't even want to say bad production quality, but like the production quality of those times, um, then definitely go back. And also, I really want to say thank you to Min because Min actually preserved that episode. We have a little bit of a gap. I think there's like six episodes missing that are lost to time. But Min happened to have that episode on his computer and he sent it to me. And that's why you can still listen to episode uh, of course 37. He did. I love it. <laughs> I, I even remember when that episode came out. Um, I was... I was about to go on a holiday skiing with my family for a week. I downloaded like five episodes around then to listen to in the evenings. And then I think I just listened to that episode like three times in a row at the beginning. And it sorted me most of the time. It was yeah, it was that, pretty good. This was one of the episodes where we got so much feedback on that I only then really realized, dude, people are actually listening to this podcast. Like, what the fuck is going on? We're not just <laughs> <Yeah>. like talking. <laughs> talking to the void. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because we got amazing feedback for the one with Mark Eric Vogt as well. So it's something about miracles. Yeah, unfortunately, not, not unfortunately because of Mark, but because of miracles. <laughs> hey man, I'm a, I'm a big yeah. miracles fan, so I'll, I'll support it here. 
Dude, I, I started loving Miracles once Top was banned. Like, I, I kind of enjoy the kind of gameplay, but it's... But in, in a different way. Like, it's I not what back. I want to be doing in a big tournament. <laughs> I do enjoy it as, yeah. like, a thing to mix it up. Mm-hmm. It is, is nice, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Your dog agrees as well. Awesome. <laughs> yes. I, I was about to say something. She got distracted. and yeah. <laughs> so before we move into our highlight clips, there's one more question coming to us from Selkie. Is there any kind of content you wish existed but currently does not? Can this is the question anything? that floored me. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like there should be. It's the kind of question where it feels like there should be an answer. Um, no. I, I don't have a good answer. There probably is a okay. good answer, but I, I can't think of something. So to me, I, before we go into like specific content, I think what I'd love to see more is anything comedy related to... like. It's so hard to even talk about that with regards to Legacy because like the, the format is not as big as you know Limited or Standard or whatever. Like there, there, There's really good comedy channels about magic in general out there. I think we reason didn't, didn't you recently share like this video about this guy who was like totally high on drugs playing like a deck that had long been banned and he was playing against like TS or something like what the fuck was that maybe oh that was that was a doomsday thing um I think it was from like two or three years ago because he was he was playing doomsday but it's called boom pile because it it doomsdayed into three wishes for like Oryx salvage plus led plus conjurer's bauble and then you, or you three wished after that, and then you get the tendrils. I can't even remember what three wishes does. Like it's, yeah, it was it, like totally fucked up. And yeah, the idea was it, it was not intended to be a strategy video. It, it, like altogether, it was like two minutes long or something. It's but it was just like pure comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, the polar opposite of it. Yeah, but it was hilarious. And I just wish we had more of that. And that's something I guess that also goes together with the community being more relaxed about that because i while legacy in general is a little bit more relaxed than most things going on in magic i feel i think there's like still a little bit of tension about like respect me and respect my content and i think we've gotten a lot better about that but i think we need to relax even more about that like if people like should talk every day channel if there's like something at the core like the essence then that's something to take away and if they only do it to hurt me or you then that's just like fucked up. But if they do it because it's funny, then like all the more power to you. And I think that's how people should generally feel about their content. And yeah, in, in I, a I way, kind of agree. Like being English, we have massively self-depreciating kind of humor. And anytime anyone tries to make fun of me, I will just make fun of myself even more than they do. And then they just feel stupid. So it's it's a pretty hard one to do. So um, <laughs> I welcome it. Bring it on. Yeah, sure. Okay, people are going to shit talk us so, so much for the next <laughs> yes. episode. But yeah, so so the only other thing I want to have is basically like what we then created in the Legacy Premier League, even though, dude, I wish I could do another season. I just don't know if I have the time and power and everything in me. It's, it's just so much work. And I keep saying that every time. Like people, if you think you know how much work it is, think about it like five times and then you, you come even close to it. But that's that's something I always wanted in Magic because I take an insane amount of inspiration from both StarCraft and Street Fighter. And in StarCraft, they kind of have that with the BSL, Bombastic Star League, or even like in Korea with the ASL. And I always wanted to have something like that. And that's what we created with the IPL. The other thing that's really, really cool, and that's coming from Street Fighter, and that we don't have that in Magic yet. And it's kind of hard to implement Magic because like Magic is less super hype-driven and more like, oh, very deliberate, slow, quiet. But in Street Fighter, they have fight nights. And for example, Alex Bayer, which... 
you know, you know, if you know Alex Weyer, he's probably one of the biggest ambassadors of the game in history. And he just had, like had his first child, I think, by the way, congratulations. And he organizes stuff like that where people just get together and it's happening online. You can also have it offline. And they just like play for like one night, I don't know, a couple of hours and winner stays on, they call it. So you, you just like, you keep getting challenged by the crowd and all of that is streamed and commentated. And I think that would be such an awesome hangout situation. You know, you, imagine like... You, I don't know, Anorak starts out, you challenge him, then somebody wins, loses, then the next guy comes on. And we have like a bunch of people and it's just like a hangout with people maybe having drinks and stuff and having a good time. And I mean, it's it's a very easily described concept, but there's a lot of things that actually need to be prepared and worked on in order to really create the kind of awesome chill out atmosphere and not like a random stream. And this is just like something that's been on the back of my head that I just started thinking about once Saki asked us that question. That's not really fun. It sounds hard to replicate because as you yeah. said, like the hype is, yeah, like there's a lot of very deliberate magic players, like you say, and it is kind of part of the game as well. Um, like it does, it's a, a thinking game, isn't it? So it's going to be part of it whether you like it or not. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the, you could definitely get some hype things. To, like, I, I would want to do it, like, I don't know, time limit 10, and then you got to play. <laughs> but that's probably not, not not happening. Wizards would laugh that. Wizards would be like, oh, no sideboard games, best of one. Yeah, Julian, hey, here's all our money. Like, oh, okay. dude, there's, there's a new Hearthstone card, which is, if it's in both your decks, you have, like, five second turns or something. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, and um, in, in in the last, like, high-level event, I believe, um, if the... If the uh, the match went to like drawn games the last deck that they get to play has to have that card in it so sudden death is like with five second turns okay, it's mental that's actually smart it's really cool it's smart everyone was saying like while, while i was watching it, everyone in chat and all the players they absolutely hate it but it's really fun to watch so yeah Maybe I, I guess in order to make that work, you, you need to make sure that your interface and also like your gameplay dynamics are compatible with that. Like mm. legacy probably wouldn't really work because you have so many things going on. But I, I like the idea of anything that brings more hype to a game without mm-hmm. compromising the actual gameplay, which this I guess kind of does. But I think so. Yeah. Even yeah yeah okay. <laughs> I enjoyed watching them suffer. So <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So now we're moving on. We're actually gonna play a couple of highlight clips. So the first clip we're bringing you, it comes from episode 4, July 2013. It has Matt, and Matt speaks a little bit about Chalice of the Void and Dark Depth. And the number one reason I, or the reason I included this, is because in the past I've spoken a lot about how Chalice was really only like becoming a card once Top Top Miracles became a thing. Because previously it was really this allegedly tier two actually tier three card tier three cards that people played like in dragon stompy fairy stompy what have you even demon stompy and this was around the time once miracles actually like really started hitting us hard that people realized hey we could actually play chalice and just to give you a little bit of a flashback from that era this is this is how people spoke about chalice back then not only is no rod really good right now or could be really good right now. Chalice and Trinisphere are criminally underplayed right now. Chalice is backbreaking. Brainstorm, Ponder, Swords to Plowshares. All of Rug. The entire Rug deck is hit by <laughs> the, that, the, that one The card. format really doesn't like Chalice of Void. Uh, I think Caracas, even though Caracas doesn't kill Caracas anymore, I think if people are going to be starting to play this Thespian Depths garbage combo, that I actually don't think is going to be that good. 
So yeah, this is this is two things in one. Um, Matt also talks about the thespian deck, uh, dark depth thespian stage combo, which kind of like became a thing, but not really until 2016. I want to say where it did it win or at least go all the way to the finals of Bizarre of Mox, uh, of Eternal Weekend in Paris that year. But this is this is how people thought about the combo back then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was always a kind of fringe, kind of cute deck, wasn't it? I don't really know what. I think the only thing that kind of made it good was people playing it more and realizing how good it was because the cards were always there, weren't they? There's nothing stopped it. It was played in lands. Um, was it ad- was it adopted in lands straight away? Thespian stage. Do you remember? Not exactly straight away, but pretty quickly. But lands didn't really like lands was like really big and like before like around 2010 until like 2012. Yeah. But then it was like it the intuition away. kind of Zuranorb engine explosive style. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes you would just like win with Academy Runes if you were like super crazy. Beautiful. But <laughs> this, this this is like the very first time people were like, yeah. uh, Dark Depth. Uh, well, I think it. Uh, because yeah. Dark Depth was played before in like Living Wish junk kind of style rock decks with a, a Vampire Hex Mage as well. Like it wasn't like it was it wasn't a new combo, um, but Thespian Stage like yeah. doubled up. So. Yeah. And like the, the the very reason I actually played this step is um, this is really like the point in time where Shadows started becoming the thing that people then bitched about for many many years, and it, it's just like a cool thing to point out how Shadows was. I guess at that point we already called it underplayed. It wasn't like a sleeper card anymore, but I just want to go back and once again point out that Shadows really wasn't a thing before Top Miracles. Like people played it, but it wasn't not something that you actually had on your mind when you built your deck it wasn't like you played threshold and you were like oh i need something to deal with chalice because like only that weirdo in the first round is maybe gonna have chalice and then that's gonna be it <laughs> funny you say that because i was just waiting to come in with uh i i quit uh, magic until about 2011 i got back in around innistrad and my first deck back was spanish inquisition and i then a very qu- very quickly built a uh, werewolf stompy and i can absolutely tell you that chalice was not a good card and it was not respected or at least where I played, and people were like, "Okay, Chalice, whatever, is a a knight or a Terravor or something." It was it was completely different then. It was just kind of like a cute thing that you might get someone with sometimes, but mostly people just played two and three drops and ignored you and laughed at you. But uh, yeah. it seemed like a great call from Matt at the time, actually. Yeah, definitely. Uh, looking at the all the past episodes, it, it's kind of funny because Matt he doesn't have a lot of time to play anymore. So back then. He was like the guy who was really talking about the competitive shit. Like, I think of all the original hosts, Matt was by far the most competitive. I guess Kobe is up there. And when I listen to his calls, like, they are super spot on, especially back then. And yeah, that's... By the way, Matt, if you're listening to this, shout out. Looking forward to having you on the next episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we even had, like, a, a clip where he first discovered Sea Trino. I didn't include it because there's not really <laughs> much to learn about it. Oh, we can save it, save it for next time. Okay, we'll play it to him then. That's great. (laughs) Going forward, here's the very next episode from the same month, July 2013. And this is how Young Pyromancer, one of the most defining cards of one of the most dominant decks, Grixis Dava in Legacy History, was initially received back then. Young Pyromancer has gotten a lot of talk. Um, A lot of people think it's really bad. Um, I'm reserving judgment. I don't know if it'll do anything. But it has potential to be a cheaper Tall Rand, which has seen some play in Vintage as a way of, um, at least this is how I've used it, is if your combo doesn't go off, well, you have a whole bunch of Drake tokens in play, and that's pretty good anyway. Again, I don't know how good it's going to be, but I think it'll be interesting to watch. 
So yeah, Young Pyromancer, <laughs> it's the tyrant of legacy, right? This is this yeah. is how the card was first perceived. It's, it's bad, it's not going to do anything, maybe it's going to be a backup plan for your combo deck. Nobody thought about running this one out and, and just getting like a bunch of 1-1s. Like, why would you want that? Why, why would that be good? They just all die to Devastating Dreams, right? <laughs> good point. Devastating Dreams and uh, I guess people played Toxic Deluge back then a lot in Shardless and stuff. Was that then? No. But yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was around the era. Yeah, I don't remember Young Pyromancer like doing much until Grixis Delva really picked up in popularity, though. It's funny you mentioned Grixis Delva because that's the not exactly next episode. It's from January two thousand fourteen, where I called it Matt and Sam accidentally built Grixis Delva. <laughs> uh, Grixis Delva, like it was kind of like starting to become a thing, even though in January two thousand fourteen, like everybody was playing. Was it already Treasure Cruise? No, Treasure Cruise came out later. But it, it wasn't really a thing. But yeah, j- just listen how Matt and Sam actually discover one of the greatest interactions in the history of Legacy. Well, uh, one of the other things that's interesting, there have been some interesting decks based around it because obviously you're going to have a lot of tokens with this guy in Legacy because you're playing things like Brainstorm and Days and Force of Will, which are you know low cost or zero cost and get you a guy. Um that results in two things that are really interesting. One is you get a you play a lot more cards where maybe you don't play them at a great time because you get the extra value of having a guy. So, for example, they might bolt your Pyromancer. They have open mana. You daze it. So, yeah, they pay it. Your Pyromancer dies, but you still have a guy, and now they're tapped down. And I found when I was playing this, you see a lot of plays like that where you say, you know, this isn't the best thing I could do right now, but now that Young Pyromancer's on the battlefield, it makes it a much better thing to be doing. So it adds value to all your all of your spells. Pretty good with the Cataxian Probe as well. Yes, uh, and that's there's been a Grixis Delver list that uh, ran both Cataxian Probe and Cabal Therapy. So you Cataxian Probe them for two life, see their hand, sacrifice a dude, and Cabal Therapy them for free with perfect information of their hand. I like the sounds of that. <laughs> it's pretty good, I like that the one. Sounds of that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you think it has legs? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go and see. Yeah, wow. Well. I, I like how Sam introduces it as there has been a Grixis diver list. Like, you know, somebody somewhere put this together and Matt is like, oh, dude, this is actually like Cotexian Prob. We should do that. that. That sounds pretty good. So I'm like, yeah, let's see. <laughs> well, the, I, I'm trying to remember the time frame now because I do remember, um, I'm, I'm forgetting his surname, uh, a player from the SCG circuit, Eric something um and he very often played delva and he made a grixis delva list with edric spymaster trust as well as young pyromancer and it was basically it had probe and cabal therapy and like death right and uh young pyromancer and stifles and everything maybe that's what they were referring to it feels like it was around the same time is it eric english no that name kind of rings a bell but i could be totally wrong it's probably like something completely different yeah but um (laughs) It was, yeah, I don't remember if it was like before or after they're mentioning that, but yeah, I guess Del- Grixis Delva it wasn't like a kind of a breakup thing, was it? It was just like it slowly appeared more and more and more until like after a year or something, people finally accepted that, all right, this thing is absolutely busted. Yeah, at, at that point, you know, chemotherapy and Cotexian Probe had been around for a while. And I even remember like those two cards have been a thing for a very long time, but it took forever for people to even adopt those into Storm. I remember at GP Amsterdam, like October 2011, Eli Pickhorn, Pickhorn, I'm oh, sorry for the mispronunciation, um, played Pichard. that in... Okay. 
oh, okay, let's do it like yeah. that. <laughs> Played that in uh, an aunt. And people were like, whoa, you're not playing like Thoughtsy Sturis? It's like, no, we're, we're playing this. And it took forever for t- Storm to adopt one of the best protection spells they ever had. And yeah, it's, it's kind of similar for Diver. Yeah. Funny, by the way, I like how Sam is like, you know what? We can actually get value out of dazing a lightning bolt on our young pyramids, even if they pay for it. Because... Technically, at that point, you're bouncing your own land to make a 1-1. One, one. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, think, I think this point is absolutely brilliant, actually. And it's a really, really good thing to learn from, from these kind of reviewing cards and taking it forward, because this is not a good use of a daze. It's not a good use of a young pyromancer. But you're realizing that when something is going wrong for this card you're playing, you can still extract value from another bad situation. Like, And that's a really valuable thing. If you can get value from a situation where... This daze is probably dead because they have mana open. And the Empire Mancer is dying. It's not getting any value. But combine these cards together, you are able to extract some value from them basically being dead. So, um, And he mentioned tapping them down is pretty real. That's like a, a plus side to daze, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think this is like a kind of evaluating a flaw of a card often. And it's it's really useful to try and work out the... Well, maybe it's not the flaw. It's like an average case. It's It's when things are not going very well. It's like a below average case, I guess you're still able to do things with the cards you're given. And in close games, that is what win or lose games for you. So it's pretty important to look at these kind of points. Yeah, and it was also kind of cool that you don't have to have that great one thing that you do with the card. Like, we, we had that in Cataxian Pro plus Cable Therapy, which was one of the best combos that in combination with Young Paramancer that we ever had in the format. But... Even just by playing your normal Daiva game, that's, you know, Daiva, um, Brainstorm, Ponder, Daze, whatever, you get to extract a certain amount of value out of it, like you mentioned, and that's going to be worth something. I, I remember for one of the GPs, one of the commentators from Wizards actually asked me to to write um, some kind of review about what's going on in the format. And once Young Paramancer had been established, I, I think I called it like the cash-in phase, where once you get a certain number of tokens, you just keep turning them sideways, no matter how many die each turn, because you're going to extract a certain amount of damage out of them. Say, say, you know, like, say you have six and they got two blockers to kill them, then you deal like four damage and two damage, that's like six damage, and maybe that's going to be worth it. And one of the skills with Young Paramount and Grixis Derva back then was kind of identifying once you actually had to go for the cash-in phase. And that's something that you really only fully realize once you start playing with the deck, because I think when we are reviewing cards, very often people are like, they are looking for the cable therapy, Gitexian probe interaction, whereas what makes the deck really work, or the card really work, is the, in this case, cash-in situation, the, the just like random incremental value that you get over time. And that's really hard to judge. And I think that shows in a lot of card evaluations, both in all podcasts and like on other media. And yeah, that's something to be mindful of, um, not to underestimate incidental random value that you get over time from a card that's still a pretty decent deal at two mana for a two one yeah absolutely i I think it's kind of fair enough as well for all the people that have reviewed or will be reviewing new cards and stuff you are generally looking at like three points you're looking for the ceiling you're looking for the floor and you're looking for the average case and within those parameters is this case like this is probably below this is between the floor and the average case where you're getting a one one for like a little bit of value and stuff but those things, especially in fair decks, I found those things add up. So, um, but this is the kind of thing you're not going to think about when you're evaluating a new card to go in a, a competitive deck. It's just, it's not where things start. But as these things add up and these more and more cases, so as you said, cashing and damage or the little bit of value here and there, 
like when you build up enough uh, situation like this then that's where like it actually raises the power of the card enough yeah and speaking of card evaluations a card that took forever to be fully appreciated in legacy is ponder and it probably blows your mind if you only started playing the last couple of years but one of the biggest schisms discussions in the history of legacy was whether ponder is good which is like what the fuck right <laughs> i just played blue red Delver again and i could never imagine playing the deck without ponder and but that was the big big thing and the two decks opposed to each other were on one side philip schoeniger's we like we literally called it the four the ponder miracles i was about to say it was I, like the, I reread the source miracles thread a, f- a few weeks ago because i got linked to a really old post there and i was going through it and there was people saying well there's ponder miracles and then there's Vincent miracles and it's just really it's really funny to go back to yeah, Winter Miracles or Legend Miracles, played by Joe Lossard, right? Mm-hmm. Those were the two big things. And Joe was really successful. Philip was really successful. Philip, like, top eight at two Legacy GPs in a row in Paris 2014 and um, New Jersey 2014. And, yeah, I I think it's rather clear to see that Ponda is, like, a mainstay of the format now. But I found one clip, especially, where people were evaluating uh, the card Spirit of the Labyrinth, and the reason I'm including this is one of Matt's comments that blue decks aren't actually playing that much card advantage or even like draw spells in the first place. Blue, blue decks were like a lot more mid-rangey. Like what blue decks did what, was they got down like Noble Hierarch and they did have Brainstorm, yes, but then that was pretty much it when it comes to card advantage. And I, I guess you could like click yourself and and like get a second draw that way, which like was something Spirit would prevent. And in Miracles was really like one of the very first decks that were, was like, you know what, we're gonna do like this whole brainstorm thing. Uh, I, we're gonna do that whole chase thing and have card advantage and all that kind of stuff. Whereas previously, like the best thing we really had was Landstill, and Landstill was like not. Like, Lancel was the, the noob crusher. I, I remember, like, in my local, local meta game, Lancel always crushed, like, everything. But Lancel barely ever, like, managed to shine at, on the big stage. And, yeah, I want to go to episode number 16, February 2014, and listen to Matt's comment um, about Spirit of the Labyrinth. Which, by the way, if you don't know that, that's a 3-1 creature for two, and every player can only play one card, draw one card each turn. Sam, take it away. Spirit of the Labyrinth is one and a white. It's a 3-1, so already you're doing pretty well relative to power toughness on uh, on that cost. My opinion is this. Okay, so it is a 3-1 that's tutorable with a light tutor that prevents cantripping. Seems good unto itself. The problem is they're probably going to get a brainstorm before you put it down, possibly, or a brainstorm in response. But all these blue decks are interested in drawing extra cards, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, beyond four Brainstorm and two Ponders that most decks are playing, or even just, say, four Brainstorm, does anyone really care? Well, I think this is a card that you really can't look at in a vacuum. I think that it's something where if you pair this with, say, Aven Mind Sensor, where now their deck is essentially the way it is on the table now is the way it's going to be for the rest of the game and they're not going to be able to go through things, that's where I think this card in Legacy is going to really shine. So yeah, Aaron Mindson. So that's a, that's the first card that comes to your mind when you think about <laughs> Spirit of the Labyrinth. People give me shit for like still wanting to make that card happen in Legacy, and especially with Doomsday around, I, th- I think it's more justified than ever again. But yeah, um, the, the most important takeaway here is Matt even talking about, it's not even clear that 
decks would play Ponder in the first place. They they have like their four brainstorms, and then that's pretty much it. And they might even get one of them in before, and that really is like still the in German we call it zeitgeist, like the, hmm. the way people were thinking at the time. And Shardless used I, to play one Ponder as a flex slot. It was pretty common. It's just so funny to think of now. Yeah. And even then, it was like weird. Like if you if you cascade into into Ponda, it was like, well, you already didn't want to cascade into Brainstorm. Like if you cascade exactly. into Tarmogoyf, that was great. Him, ta- oh, even yeah. Death Arch M was decent. But if you can't uh, shot less into like a cantrip, it's like, Meh. yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I guess. But yeah, this is the 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 decks back then. Like trying to make a little bit of a case for the lack of Pondas. Maybe Devil's Advocate here. Um, like decks really needed more raw things to be doing like this is one of your critiques of lots of control now as well it's just all air and it's not enough things but decks were just like butting heads a lot more to put it in one way of putting it like uh they would play a threat another deck would play an answer then they would play a threat the other deck plays an answer it'd be a lot more like jostling for position back and forth and um tempo just wasn't as much of a thing as it is now the threats weren't as good and so because the threats weren't as good you are having this kind of re- resource battle and when you're having a resource battle you know actually i'm just kind of like talking myself into thinking ponder is even better if there's no tempo it is. <laughs> so um i don't know I, i'm kind of like yeah arguing with myself now already the thing about ponder like you mentioned how the threats ran this got um, i mean it's no surprise that this area i think was the best tarmogoyf has ever been in legacy and mm-hmm. i remember back then people were even talking about like one of the reasons why you might want to play ponder is because it's a sorcery so you can grow your tarmogoyf out of uh, lightning bolt range like people were thinking about that i mean people were also thinking about that the selection you get from ponder but apparently that wasn't enough to make it an auto include as a far off people were like oh and it grows your tarmogoyf like oh okay now i'm gonna consider it <laughs> <laughs> this is this is something else, man. Yeah, I guess as the power level of cards and or the efficiency of cards grows, you can afford to play it more as well. Is a is a way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Like you have better things to find. But I'm already halfway through my second glass of wine, and I really want to get to my favorite clip now. <laughs> go on, this, go on. <laughs> the upcoming clip is our initial review of Treasure Cruise, one of the most broken cards in the history of the format. If you don't remember, it was like Delph Infinite, I think Delph 7, mm-hmm. and it blew, and it's a sorcery, draws three cards. And yeah, it was it was spoiled, and this is how your allegedly competitive podcast um, thought about Treasure Cruise in September 2014. On the subject of Delph, Treasure Cruise... 7 and blue, Delve. Alright, obviously way too high casting cost for Legacy. And it draws 3. My first thought on this, before I realized it was 7 and a blue, I thought it was like 3 or 4 and a blue. At like 4 and a blue, a Time Spiral deck can get rid of all the fetch lands that they don't want to draw back. But at 7 and a blue, you probably have to get rid of too much good stuff. Another place this has got potential is in a Dredge deck, where you can get all the crappy cards out of your graveyard and trigger three more dredges. That I can see. Julian, what do you think? I think all of the of the dev stuff that has been spoiled, uh, spoiled thus far is just not quite cutting it. Even like the, the draw three sorcery, that's a card that you would want in the very first turns. Like you want all of the, the cantrips and dredge, for example, like Breakthrough and Careful Study and Faithless Looting. Um, and later on, you're not going to draw it anymore because you're just going to be dredging anyways. So it's... If you somehow were to, to, I don't know, change around the slots and end up in a situation where you actually want to include more 
of these draw spells, yeah, then I can see it. But right now I think it's worse than the stuff that already exists. I don't see it being played in, in Dredge. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's some... Some people maybe randomly sideboarded it in control decks for the control mirror, but even there, I think there might be better options, especially since it's sorcery. <laughs> so what happens if this card was made as an instant? It doesn't become uh. playable at 7U? Yeah. <laughs> what happens if you put Trash Cruz as an instant? And oh do you want to play it in fucking Dredge? There's <laughs> so many good bits. Like, you, you could sideboard it in control for the mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> and you made a very good point. You do want to draw three cards early in the game. You just make one very good point. <laughs> oh well, my god! I mean, that was in regards to to, to dredge, right? I, I I have no idea. Like we, <laughs> Sam gave us the initial two ideas. The initial idea was like, oh, we could play it in in you know like high tide, which is like a very good idea. And then it's like, oh, but we have to delve seven cards, and we oh, might no. want to redraw them once we time spur. So better not draw three can, cards. Nobody like challenged him on that because we were can like, you imagine, oh yeah, good point, Sam. <laughs> can you imagine if it costs like three or four and a blue? <laughs> God, <laughs> you God. can even like cast it on the second turn. I don't know. Like I would, oh I would like fetchland thoughts call myself and draw three. And cards probe, and probe is still there as well. Oh my God, that yeah, oh. this is the be- this is the best one. This is like uh, so often. Do you, do you remember the uh, Carson Cotter article about it? Yes, Carson yeah. was the only person in the entire world who actually proxied up the deck, and he, like he actually <laughs> yeah. played Treasure Cruise and Dick through time, and he released an article on Stars of the Games, and he was like, "You guys are all crazy. I'm betting my ass these two cards are getting better." Yeah. He was like the only same Brilliant person. Brilliant article. He said he played two Delver Mirrors, and the one with Treasure Cruise went nineteen and two, or like eighteen and two, and he just said this card is absolutely busted, and it will get banned. It was a pretty good cool shot, if I have to say. And here we are, like, trying to figure out whether it should be a card in fucking Dredge. <laughs> <laughs> so if it, if it cost three and a blue and was an instant, it might be played in Dredge. <laughs> and in the sideboard of control decks. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you have to you have to delve away, like, non-fetch lands, which you don't want to draw again. So you might have to, like, oh, dre- yeah. dredge away a source of pouch as you want. I mean, uh, oh, man. delve. This, this, this is, like, I had no idea. We, I knew we shot it down, but I didn't... <laughs> Mm. <laughs> he wanted to half the cost and make an instant and then a maybe you know <laughs> god it's, it's like puke inducing isn't it it's so good <laughs> i mean i guess you can see why we went on a hiatus actually like a couple of years later only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just the shame that like you feel so bad about it still yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Matt and I are still on the podcast. <laughs> but here we go. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next one. Um, we, in 2019, actually, April 2019, episode 54, so we were talking about jump. another... Yeah, easy, right? We were talking about another totally unplayable card. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next card I wanted to talk about. This card is also pretty exciting. I probably don't think it's there, but it's the ceiling is extremely high. Is two mana, Dreadhorde, Arcanist, and like the ceiling for this card would be like a couple scenarios, like say you bolt something turn one, you play this guy turn two, then you attack and you get a free lightning bolt, that's pretty good. Then if you're like doing crazier things with like Ancestral Vision, um, that can be really good. So yeah, When I first saw that card, and to this day I'm surprised people haven't been talking so much about that card, because to me, that's probably one of the biggest cards that has been spoiled for Legacy yet. Uh, might even be the most important one because this card like you mentioned it triggers on attack it doesn't need to connect it actually it clears its way like you you get to lightning bolt before they go to blockers and the card to me at two mana seems very very reasonable this feels like the kind of card they would have like in the past printed at something like one a red and a red but now we're getting it like this i 
I mean, I could end up being wrong, but I can definitely see this in some kind of blue red shell, like where you also get the flashback, you know, brainstorms. I don't know, like if, if the kind of card lends itself to working working itself into like an ancestor vision decks because ancestor vision decks really want to go long most of the time, and I think they're set up. I, I guess you could technically like thought score it into your graveyard and then get it back that way, but that's already asking for a lot to go to go right. Uh, but overall, I think, uh, especially because of Lightning Bolt and this triggering on attack, not on connection, is, is a pretty big deal. I'm in the opposite camp. I'm surprised we're talking about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really am. Well, I didn't. I never heard anybody talk about this card for Legacy. So, I think that, that it doesn't do anything when it comes into play, and we already have, like like you said, Snapcaster and lots of other... And, and the, the mission briefing and... <laughs> so yeah dreaded arcanist nobody's ever talking about that card what is it even supposed to do in the format <laughs> i think i kind of made a good case for why it is playable but i remember back then everybody was like yeah i don't know about that card and uh, yeah it ended up being one of the most dominant creatures we ever had in the format right sorry i'm back okay now you're back so yeah, Callum had just like had to pet a stock because a stock was in need for some some very heavy petting. Actually, that sounds yep. really oh, fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dreadhot Arcanist, the card that's totally unplayable. Nobody's talking about it. And I'm not even sure why it's in the show notes. I tried to make the case for it because when I saw it, I it really felt crazy to me because it, it really struck me as a card that's like a three mana card. But this is this is, I guess this is part of what I mean. Like in this case, it, it ended up being wrong. But this is. Why I really liked Eric's you, reviews you, on, on you and Bob were on it, so um, yeah, like the the situation you two described exactly came true. Like the fact that it triggers on attacking and it's like you know it comes down quickly. My friend in London called Nick, who uh, I like have always play tested with most and stuff. When the card came out, I, I kind of it came up in a conversation. He just said, like, "What are you talking about? The card is insane. Like it's probably going to get banned in Legacy." He said this from day one, and I was like, "Oh wow, okay." I didn't even realize it was going to be a good tool. He's like, yeah, of course it's good. You flashback Ponder and Brainstorm. These cards are busted. And then you like, flashback Bolts against the creature decks. It's insane. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see it, I guess. And I played it in our like local and just got like chaliced constantly. So I thought it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is... And also, like, uh, a part I cut from this clip because it was way too long um, was that Bob mentioned that it also works really well with Becoming Men's. And I think this is one of the prime examples of what we talked about earlier. Don't go out there looking for the Cataxian Probe Cable Therapy interaction. Look for the tiny incremental advantage over time. Mm-hmm. Because Bob yeah. um, mentioned Ancestor Visions, would be, which would be insane, right? Um, becoming Men's, which is more like a modern thing, but which would also be like really insane because it does trample. Uh, but the reason this card actually ended up being good is not Ancestor Visions, it's not Becoming Men's. It's really just your brainstorm Ponder or Lightning Bolt. Yeah. And I think something to really really take away consciously take away from this is when evaluating future cards this is what it's really about in legacy because unless you're playing like a dedicated combo deck or something is as broken as underworld breach don't try to break it to a degree that increases your variance that much that it's not worth it and i think including stuff like becoming men's or ancestor versions hits your consistency over proportional to how powerful it is and yeah just Try to cast as many brainstorm ponders as you can while also like hitting your opponent and, and killing their creatures, and that's what Dreaded Arcanist was, and that's why we ended up banning it. I think you're right from the perspective of of a fair card. Like like Arcanist is pretty clearly going to be played in fair decks. Um, when you're looking for an unfair deck, though, you are looking for the ceiling. Just to add like a little caveat. 
Yeah, and we, we actually we're, we're gonna have a really good example of that later on, right? And in, in, in our yeah, very true. last clip. But that's that's a really good point. When mm -hmm. when you have something broken, try to break it as hard as you can, and then you can always like take a step back and try to make it more consistent. Yeah. Awesome. So episode fifty four. This is actually the very same episode. This was quite the episode. April two thousand nineteen. Uh, we're actually talking about Teferi. From like okay, this this card in my I don't know I'm the card seems like crazy to me like um if you're a storm deck or show and tell deck like bouncing a chalice is a pretty big deal and the fact that like none of your cards can be countered is a pretty big deal like this is a must answer from a deck from a deck like that and it has like this built-in game one answer to stuff like chalice that you don't already have because it's not useful enough uh to have chalice answers against blue decks so now you've got like this card that's just insane and against blue decks and it can answer a chalice like that's pretty crazy to me um so i think yeah, okay, in a so... combo deck like i think I, i'm thinking like storm's going to want to play white show and tell's going to want to play white i could even see like miracles maybe wanting this card but i don't it doesn't really feel like a like a like a control card to me but we'll see i honestly want the card to be playable even though i'm not convinced it is because as much as like Marcus and Anorak were like super excited about the card, I was like pretty anti the card. I don't see it as a control like... card. I think they're going to be highly disappointed yeah. with what it does in a control <laughs> deck. Okay, there's some things to unpack here, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack. Teferi, like the three mana Teferi, it ended up being a control card. Like we had I, some show, show and tell decks that played a, it. I but... think it's a bit of a flop, actually. Like it is being played, but not to the levels of what people were expecting. Yeah, I, I thought it was like not gonna be good enough in the first place. But I, okay. I, I was also like the contrarian because like in in some chats that we talked about the card, I remember specifically like a couple of like control players, they <laughs> really big time freaked out about this card. Like, yeah, like really freaked out about them. And I was like, I already think this is just like barely playable. And now that you think this is gonna be crazy, I'm gonna call it like unplayable. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's classic. But, yeah, yeah, but. I still think it's it's one of those really cool cards because it's not like crazy broken or anything unless you, you want to commit really heavily to, you know, that super sit back, do nothing control plan, which time and again, Julian says, this is not something you should be doing in Legacy in the first place unless something is broken, yada, yada. Yeah. <laughs> but it's what I find interesting is that Eric called it out as not a control card. I think it's a but, very good point. I, I still don't but think a combo it's, card. Yeah, I think his reasoning was good. The, the reason why it's probably kind of flopped in combo is because one, you need to splash white for it, which is a real cost, but two, three mana for this effect was just too much when you have you already have discard and defense grid and stuff. These cards aren't as good as Teferi, or at least defense grid probably isn't like as quote-unquote good as in the rule, but like, it, it's a mana more, and that mana more is the difference between going off a turn earlier or a turn later, and that's going to break win or break like when you're playing combo. Yeah, this card actually made me think about combo um, and why it's not playing it, like you mentioned. And I think one of the big reasons it actually ended up not being played in Storm is that Storm kind of just like went away with Weight of Summer. Like Storm, mm -hmm. to a certain degree, people were like, you know what, Weight of Summer is actually good in our deck. It's like, no, actually, we, we're just like playing other combo decks, even some stuff like Doomsday. And interestingly enough, Doomsday is one of the few combo decks that actually did somewhat adopt the fairy. Like, we've seen crazy stuff with End of Turn Doomsday and stuff. It's true, actually, <laughs> Which, yeah. like on top but we are seeing omnitel play teferi now um there is a blue white version sometimes blue white or bad yeah. even yeah yeah and like well not to esper's horn too much but like uh teferi is obscenely good in esper mentor 
Um, I'm playing three now. But it's still kind of like niche-ish decks and stuff. It's not seeing widespread play. It's quite often a one-of in like the kind of Bant Miracles, if you want to call it Miracles Control decks and stuff. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. Like I think why it's not seeing more, more play is purely because of the nature of the Legacy format. Um, the card has been, I think it's banned in Pioneer. I can't keep up now. Or at least banned in Historic as well. It's not the same. I, it, dude, I, I totally lost track. They're, they're different now, especially with some new additions. But I think it is both banned in both. Um, because those decks, those formats can afford to play this kind of thing on three mana. But Legacy is just a thing where you need more from three mana quite often. Um, it's yeah, just, it's yeah. Just, it's just like it's just like half a mana too much, if that makes sense. It's almost there. To a degree, it, it goes back to what I earlier said about Diver, how Diver sets the boundaries of what you can and what you cannot do in the format. That's true. And... Yeah, I think that's one of the victims. I mean, it's not even one of the victims, right? We still see it like as a one-off here and there, but it's not like a role play. It's more like a utility card. It's yeah. it's like an upgraded Council's Judgment, which we would sometimes see in the main decks of, of Control decks. Yeah. And as such, I kind of like it because generally I kind of like these cards that do something when they come down and then somewhere down the line they might do something again it's just weird that the static ability is such a hit or miss like some matchups it's insane some matchups it doesn't do anything i i don't know maybe but yeah it's pretty feel bad something i hate by the way i'm too deep into my wine to not say this something i absolutely hate because i'm allergic to not being competitive at least in magic is when people are like you know what what if it only allowed one instant per turn or when people were like what if death Chamber was just like a green or a black or a one one like fuck this shit like i will never blame you for thinking about that or discussing that but i want no part of that i want to be fucking competitive and, and like do stuff and even though i cast lanoa f's i still want to be competitive and <laughs> we, I, need to, we need to I, clip I that for a future episode even though i cast lanoa elves <laughs> i want to be competitive that one's getting framed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm gonna go on episode 200. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I this is one of the few times where I really have to hold back because I think I might personally offend people when I don't want to personally offend people. I hate that thing of like theory crafting. It's like oh blah 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 you, blah you, blah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the cards that have been banned in Legacy recently have been like pretty close to being fine. So. You could make Deathrite a zero one. You could make Renner Six start at two loyalty. You could make Death uh, Dreadhead Arcanist a one one or a one two. Um, you could do a lot of these little things, but like it's a fun little thought exercise. Um, but yeah, generally it doesn't really get anywhere. But some people feel better about it. Pretty much, pretty much. Moving on to getting <laughs> totally wrong about certain cards. Hey, oh, here's Oko, well. the most anticipated, most powerful card that everybody called out as being banworthy right away as soon as it was spoiled. The card Oko, probably not playable in, in Legacy, but it definitely does a lot more than I originally thought it did because I played against it in Limited. And I don't know, I just the first time I read it, I didn't quite realize how ridiculous that card is at three mana, but that's probably not good enough for legacy still. Yeah, I agree. When you're when you're casting like blue CMC three mana spells, it's like there's so many insane options. The bar is just very high. Yeah, and this one takes like you can make a three three after two turns. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's not good enough for legacy, but it's it's definitely better than mm. I originally well, thought. Well let's talk about it. cards who we think are good enough. 
Let's talk about cards <laughs> we think are going to be good enough. And the very next card, Bob follows it up with is Charming Prince. <laughs> nice. Hey, he's got the Espival in his mind. He, he'd been talking to Jeff. No, he's actually talking about humans. <laughs> I didn't oh, include fine. it in the clip. <laughs> uh, I, I like we the ending. We were also wrong about it. Like, I don't want to call out Bob specifically or Eric. Like, I also, like, was totally... Like, yeah. we, we didn't even talk about the card in the previous spoiler episode, which is, like, we, we don't even have a clip about it. This <laughs> At this point, Eric had already been exposed to Oko in Limited. And he was like, you know what? Maybe in Limited... <laughs> <laughs> after two turns you can make a 3-3 like can you imagine like I, I think I never played limited with Oko but Oko must be insanely insanely strong and limited like yep, what are they going to play a dragon I'll get play a dragon I'll get I played Psst. about 100 drafts of uh, Eldraine one of the best limited formats in ev- ever actually it's incredible but Oko was ridiculous like I mean you can imagine I don't need to say anything else it was completely stupid but it didn't it took a very long time to catch on in Legacy as well it was Immediately insane and standard, um, but then the rest of the formats, it was good in Pioneer, or maybe actually Pioneer came out after that, probably. Yeah, never mind. But Legacy was like a month or two months until it started to pick up. I Around that time, Renesix was also legal, so I was, for, for GP Bologna, I'd been working on a deck with uh, Mox Diamond and Renesix, and it was like a Planeswalker control deck. And then I just tried two Okos on a whim because it's like, okay, this card seems really good and standard. Let's try it out. And then my first match, I like made a, a Chalice of the Void, a creature, and swordsed it. And I was like, wow, that's really good. Uh, let's try it again. And then the next match, playing against Storm, and they like played a Wishclaw Talisman. I made it an Elk. I was like, wow, that's pretty good as well. And then next match, my opponent played like Bug Delver. They played a Tarmogoyf. I made the Goyf a 3 3 hit the Oko down to what one and then I like made like an astral labor three three. It was like, wow, this just also just completely dominates the board. This card is obscene. So I was very quickly turned around to it. But I was still like it took me a, a month at least or two and I think the rest of the legacy format. And then it was quite quick to be adopted. People put it into Delver as just like a kind of a, a a good card and then it picks up and up they literally up. put in everything I, I yeah. five out like with like elves and oko and maverick and oko <laughs> or rather like oko and elves and oko and maverick like yeah that card man it really did why, where did it go wrong why did we not see this coming what's the lesson to take away from this well higher loyalty plus plus very it was very flexible it just did so many different things i guess i think that's that's probably like the number one reason we underestimated the the impact of a three mana six loyalty planeswalker yeah. because that's what it basically was a lot you of could, times. It's so hard to get in combat. Do you actually before you sorry to interrupt, but do you remember, do you know what the um, Wizards of the Coast said about his plus one, plus two? Sorry, uh, they never thought. Uh, oh, the plus two, I don't know, but I know about the plus one. They said they never thought about using it on the opponent's creature. Yes, yeah, which is just it's it's really funny. It's insane. I don't know how they would not think that, but. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that because I think one of the reasons why it was so good, like other than the, the loyalty, uh, is that in Legacy especially, Vanilla Creed, there's an insanely high standard for being a Vanilla Creature. Like, what Vanilla Creatures are we running? Like, if you want to cast called Delva Vanilla Creature, it's like a 3-2 flying. That's not even like Vanilla. Like, the only other Vanilla Creature we run in the format is a 20-20 flying indestructible to, like, to give you some idea of how good it needs to be. Like, seriously, like, if you had, like, a two-mana creature, how big would it need to be to see Legacy play if it was Vanilla? Like, I'm well, thinking, like, four, seven, five, seven. Four, five, and it grows if there's other... Four, types. five, two-mana? 
I don't think that would see play in Legacy. And it and it grows if there's more card types. No, 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 vanilla, vanilla, dude. I I'm don't too deep into my wine and into vanilla? my resolution to have more to be more opinionated about stuff. Maybe yeah, eth- just okay. to make for better clips. Eth- ethical, ethical question: Is Tamagoyf a vanilla creature? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, dude, the thing is, we Tamagoyf, got him. Tamagoyf, Tamagoyf is a fucking four five every time. Tamagoyf That's is what... just like a four five. Come on. I've made ten tens. <laughs> you, you never made a 1010 Tamagoyf. I'd kick you out. Like, if you put, like, Rinko <laughs> on it and then, I don't know, Leyland of Fatality or something. But, but <laughs> on that topic, by the way, how is fucking, like, how did they get away with making Tribal a card type? Like, they totally neglected that. No, but yeah. seriously, I, I want to I hear about that on, on the, in the comments on wherever this is going to be hosted. I want to hear about this on Twitter, at EternalMTG. I want to hear about this on Discord. And I want you to send letters to Julian Knapp in Germany. People will find me. <laughs> How big would a vanilla creature need to be for two mana? And like, like, you can pick any two mana. It could be like black, black, one green, one red, whatever. It can't be too colorless because that would be nuts. How big would a vanilla creature need to be to see play? And I think it's... I'm, I'm, between, si- I'm between six and eight, but variables... I think eight would be absolutely seeing play because yeah. then you'd really just get it down and protect it with Phosphor and Days for like two turns. I think six six is like on the lowest side. I think six six is good because it yeah. beats Tarmogoyf. I think the more but the, it dies to okay. Bolt here's the interesting dynamic. Him. Yeah, <laughs> here's the interesting dynamic of Legacy though. If if actually a card like that was actually become a thing, everybody would be playing Baleful Strix and, and even like Ice Strength Total, and then we we need to balance it up that way. And even that, you know. Vanilla is just like fucking garbage in Legacy. And the second factor is Akram's Astrolabe. It really helped it out. Like, you could turn mm. your Astrolabes, which drew your card. Like, a three, a one mana, three, three that draws your card, that's Legacy playable. And even like the downside is that sometimes it's not a three, three, but then it fixes your mana. It still draws a card. Like, it's just like the perfect storm. And was, we underestimated how hard Oko was to kill. I would have been interested in how the format, like, if how good Oko would have been if Astrolabe didn't exist. I don't want to try it ever again. I don't want to try the format with Oko back in it. Let's never go there. No, but I would be interested to see, like, if it would have been as dominant ever, which I doubt it. And uh, it probably would have still been played, but nothing like we saw before. I'm just so glad we'll never find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, me too. me too. There we go. In speaking of broken stuff, here's episode number 71, December 2019. We talk about a little-known enchantment that sacrifices at the end of turn, Underworld Breach. This and one of our guests on the show, or our guest on the show, the only person to win e- Legacy Eternal Weekends on two different continents, and one of the most recent Legacy Challenges, most importantly, H.J. Kaiser from Denmark. He talks about Underworld Breach. The card that we're talking about is Underworld Breach. That card thus far looks a little bit crazy. When I initially saw it, I thought like, oh my god, this is going to break Legacy in half. Now I'm not so sure anymore. You can use Lions or Diamond and Brain Freeze to pretty much win on the spot. So you would basically, uh, you would crack LED... Uh, have brain freeze in your in your graveyard. You go to you can even if, if you have the the cards in your graveyard, you can just like replay LED and then brain freeze yourself, for example. Or you can set it up in many different ways. The thing is, once you get to brain freeze and LED, you can generate a storm count that's high enough to basically outright brain freeze your opponent. But I guess that's not the kind of magic that HJ wants to play. After talking to you for one and a half hours, I get I get the vibe. So this is basically like a passive. 
this is legacy. Your your combo thing has to be fairly broken for it not to be shut down by something. Like the, the scary things in Legacy is when yeah. your uh, crazy combo tank uh, starts uh, working with a grindy deck as well. That's where I start getting scared. That's where you start getting scared. A grindy mm. combo deck with a combo finish. I mean, it wouldn't be much of a combo deck if it didn't have that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. This guy, he saw the future, he didn't acknowledge it, and no. I wasn't opinionated enough to fucking call him out on it. Nice. I, I'm going to put my hands up in the air i was i had a similar thought um like combo engines that use the graveyard uh, the graveyard is so easily attacked these days i was in the same boat i thought the combo is nuts like the fact that you can just like go um led brain brain freeze is really really broken it was pretty clear um everyone could see the potential but i don't know i i was skeptical as well i was like look if this deck gets really big then you just play chalices on zero and leyland of the voids and then it was only when I started playing the deck and I kept beating all that. I was like, holy moly, we have something really broken going on. And uh, yeah, it's... And it's that's ra- pretty much it, right? It's rare that we get decks, like combo decks, which are pure combo decks. Like, yes, it could grind. And the, having the mentor cyber plan was like a huge thing because the combo was so compact, you didn't need to like dedicate all this uh, air and combo slots to it. You could afford to have cantrips as part of your combo engine. That's what the crux was. Like, you're fueling the graveyard with cantrips, which also find your combo pieces and play into your cyber plan. So it, it all just came together perfectly. But I think in general, I will continue to be skeptical of a combo that uses the graveyard fully because we have like Leon of the Void and Surgical Extraction. And these cards are good versus it. And um, yeah, the deck just managed to be everything because it had access to like Serenity as well. And it was just the colors it was in, the way it could be built was too good. And this is what I talk about when I say control decks can only ever be good in Legacy. And by good, I mean tier one good when there's something broken and that's just like one of those decks that comes to mind and this is it's an amazing deck because like you mentioned it's it's just it happens to have that combo finish but you could even like after sideboarding have the mentors but overall you just like played mana cantrips permission and then you had that combo suit and it Mm -hmm. was like such a tiny combo suit it almost felt like playing vintage and it's such a shame and also a blessing in disguise i guess that i want to say like 90 percent of legacy players were never exposed to the powers of underworld breach it's something you hear about on obscure podcasts like one year later but it's something a lot of people weren't ever like fully exposed to to fully understand what i mean when i say Control hard control can only be a thing when you have like something broken. Yeah, and that's. I, I'll, way I'll put my hands up here. I absolutely adored playing this deck. It was, I mean, it's part of the fun of playing a broken deck as you win a lot as well. Um, but there was just something beautiful about it. Like it was just such raw power, but also you had so much control over what you're doing with it as well. And um, yeah, sure, you had like the turn one kill sometimes, but <laughs> the, the the mirrors as well were like absurdly complex oh my god like because you're both playing silence and orem's chant so if you play your breach you just silence them in response and so it's, it's this get wrecked n- nerd sorry exactly I, I exactly <laughs> we're in that's that phase already but um god so i um humble brag i won a showcase challenge with this deck and uh, i played marcus evold in the finals and um Okay, sorry, I gotta interrupt you. Everything you need to know about the breach area is that Marcos and Callum met in the finals of a legacy cha- a showcase challenge, yeah. which qualifies you for the world championships or something. Something, uh, a qualifier for it. But um, I, ha- I had only played like a league and a half with the deck before the morning of it. And I messaged Marcus saying, can you send me your list? And he sent me the list with three predicts. I was like, yep, sold. 
And uh, yeah, <laughs> later in the day, we're in the finals. But our finals match was like so, like, God, we just played. Like, you're you're going to hate this. We played Lang Go for like, the first five turns. No, that's just, fine. That's just fine. Can- okay, cool. Just cantripping for lands. And then later, it was like, uh, play a breach, force your silence, then like silence again, do your thing. Or you lead off with silence. They need to silence in response rather than play your breach. Then you have the fluster storms everywhere. And then, oh, it's just crazy. It's, it's some of the most, like, mind-bogglingly intricate magic I've ever played that mirror you know this is the curse of my existence that the decks I hate the most you know like top miracles and mm-hmm. I guess another breach and stuff the thing I enjoy the most in the history of legacy is the mirrors of those decks there's few things I enjoyed more in the history of legacy than top miracles mirrors or underworld breach mirrors because yeah. they are both incredibly tactical and incredibly strategic and you rarely ever get that and you only really get that when stuff is insanely broken you know like the the Lurus mirrors were insanely broken uh, not broken insanely yeah. interesting totally but also the deck well. was super broken and that's just like something or or the, the the older ones of you might remember, you know, like Rock Natural Order around 2011, like Reed Duke popularized the deck at Chibi Providence. Like all of that stuff, it's insanely cool and it's a lot of fun, but it sucks when you play against 95% of the rest of the meta game that you just crush and eventually it just gets old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I, like, I have a lot of strong opinions about Legacy. One of the best back. broadcast Legacy matches I think I've ever seen is of um, Japanese GP where there's an Omnitel mirror. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think Yasuoka is one of the players. And nothing happens for like seven turns or something? Yes, yeah, beautiful. And then, But Yasuoka had young pyromancers in the sideboard and the other player had to leave in his show and tells. And like, they win by like, Yasuoka has to cunning, they both have Omnitel, Omniscience is in play and Yasuoka has to like, through the breach, so he gets attacked by an Emrakul and he sacrifices all but two Omniscience is in play. He then, through the breaches for an Emrakul, um, a cunning wish for a through the breach to play through the breach to, for, to put in his own emerald to block the attacking emerald. Um, it's, it's just like such mind-bogglingly crazy legacy uh, gameplay. Uh, but again, it's a mirror and like of these like a completely busted decks. So yeah, I, yeah, I would next time a really broken deck comes along, which is not like snow and really boring. Uh, I urge everyone <laughs> to try and play some mirrors though, because I completely agree with what you're saying. It's and it's gonna make you so much better. It's gonna make you insanely better. It's like you go to the training camp, you, you know, the Rocky did, and I don't know Siberia. <laughs> you're gonna come out ripped and powerful and you're gonna crush everybody and their girlfriend and their boyfriend and everybody. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny you mentioned that because I think whenever something is broken and you play the mirror match, it's like playing chess with rocket launchers on your on your knights, and it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good way of putting it. This is what we do. We have one more clip, and this one has the Caleb Smith from the UK in it, and Caleb is going to tell us about a little known companion called Geruda. So the next one, I'm actually wondering why I put that into our show notes. It's called Geruda Doom of Depth, and no, I think, it's I think a this six, is really powerful. Six, Okay, I'm happy I put it there. Yeah. It's a 6-6 six, six Demon Kraken. Okay, okay, now I'm seeing it. Demon Kraken, I'm sold. <laughs> there we go. Caleb, explain to us how this is going to re- revolutionize Legacy. The first idea was given to me by um, Stefan Schultz. He said you can play this with clones. So if you play it and you mill a clone, be it like Phantasm Image or the original clone, <laughs> you, you copy itself and then the legend rule, legend rule away the clone or the, whatever copy, and that mills both players' decks. Oh, so you keep switching between yeah. them. Yeah. Because of the legend rule, 
so <laughs> so the legend rule the set the clone comes into play it copies the etb effect and then you get the clone again and you yeah, get okay. the clone again and you get the clone mm-hmm. again so it's going to be like a one card combo where you just need to get to six mana where you can use lions are diamond <laughs> because you can discard your hand and then if you hit a clone in your top four cards you win the game if they don't have an emerald on play so i like your definition of one card combo <laughs> You would need to mill a clone every single time, so that's like wait. You're already bouncing. You're already oh, doing it through your whole yeah, deck, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right. You need to have you need to have a deck full of clones. Yeah. <laughs> wait, I what? think there's enough out there. The well, you can have loads of clones in your deck. It's just all fast manner and clones. But you could still. It's only milling four, so you could fizzle. <laughs> so you have a deck filled with right, clones that fizzles <laughs> quite <laughs> easily because it's only four cards. <laughs> this is an amazing meme deck. Ten percent chance of winning when you do your thing. Okay, so I, I think there's some other ideas, like it could be played with Bomberman to get Oryx Salvages or like something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try it, but it's really, really bad, probably. <laughs> I love it. It's a bad one-card combo. Callum, stand hey. your fucking ground. We literally constructed the entire deck during this one and a half minutes. Yeah. Fast mana, clones... Demon Kraken. And if you fucking fizzle, you know, we didn't take into account that if you fizzle, you're still left with like 24 power on the board. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was I was fuck? being bombarded with shit talking from you two and I was like, okay, fine, I'll uh, I'll go and prove you wrong later on. But yeah, I should have stood my ground. Uh, it, it ended up being the first card to be banned with, in Legacy within the first week. But because it was bugged online. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, the deck ended up being insane, didn't it? Like, uh, I mean, it's still around technically. It was super insane. Like, I, the funny thing is, as I edited this clip, I actually was paired against Geruda on Magic Online and totally crushed it because, like, it doesn't really work anymore. Yeah. But I, I just can't believe that we were like, oh, it's like a bad one-card combo. You just, like, pay six mana with LED and you're left with, like, on average 24 power. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, oh, it's so bad. People are going to play, like, Delva on the first turn. Then what are you going to do? Attack for 24? Oh, good luck. I think we tricked ourselves. <laughs> so because... I think you have to take over from here. My wine is getting, like, I don't know. <laughs> well, we tricked ourselves. The, um, we kind of set ourselves. You tricked yourself. No, one card combo. That is broken, usually. That's what you need to look onto. So, this is the lesson from this one is for future, if you find a one card combo, it's probably really good. This card was six mana. And technically, the combo lost to Caracas or Source of Plowshares or Pyroblast because you can um, kill or bounce the, the Garuda with the first trigger on the stack. And then they have to hit another one on the top four, which is quite unlikely because it's the. I guess there's three left in the deck. So yeah, um, lesson is one card combos are really powerful. And what are the most powerful one card combos in the history of Legacy? I got Doomsday. What do you have? Uh, Garuda. <laughs> okay, it's my turn again. Hermit Druid. Oh come on, that that was never Legacy legal. No, okay. Um, 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 I'm struggling. Uh, I got it. Um, Survivor of the Fittest. No, but you need a creature as well. Oh, c- come on. Mm, we, I guess... we can have like 30 creatures in our deck. Okay, fine. Oh. <laughs> I'm struggling. I guess it's the closest we came. Like, honestly, like one card combos are incredibly rare in Legacy. Like, yeah, there's are. not really much left. No. So this is why, for future, if you catch me saying, well, this is just a bad one card combo, call me out because it's probably wrong. I guess Badger. That it is, it's, it's a one card combo with huge deck building restriction. Whereas, the thing is, Geruda also has deck building restrictions, but not to the same extent. Like you were probably going to say before, I interrupted you in my drunken 
It's the fact it's the fact that you could cast Garuda just straight from XL, so LED just casts it. Like that was the massively broken interaction. True, true. It is weird how they missed. Like, I think I hadn't heard it put better than this. I think it was um, uh, maybe Matt Sperling said the fact that companions need an Arata to add three mana is the difference between time walk and time warp. Like missing an interaction by three (laughs) mana is massive, isn't it? Like that is a huge miss. Um, Three mana is a huge deal in these games of Magic. So. Yeah, companions may, yeah. maybe biggest mistake Wizards have ever done. Like, at least they corrected rather quickly and it gave us some amazing gameplay. Like, yeah. I will never forget that mono white um, Surus. No, not Surus. Um, L- I don't even know what, what's it called. <laughs> Lurus. Le- Leonin on the, of the Dream Deck. Lurus. That's yeah. That's Leonin one. of the Dream Deck. <laughs> you definitely had too yeah. much wine. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't continue. I'm glad it didn't continue. But that Lurus era was was pretty amazing as well. Did you? So you enjoyed? You loved the um, the blue white tempo deck. Yes, as I well. loved her. Wait, sorry, what? <laughs> oh my god! You need more wine, I think. No, that, I actually I only have white wine left, and that's not what's happening tonight. No. Okay, fair enough. I only got white wine anyway. That's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 we were gonna say um, one card combos absolutely broken. Uh, the one one card combo waiting to be broken. I guess you already broke it. Is defense of the heart. Dude, defense of the heart. I, I want it broken so badly just because it's a uh, versus legacy card. I've but we're getting way off topic here. You just need leveler yeah. and that's Oracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so going to watch you. You're going to stream it while drunk, and you're going to click them wrong, and I'm going to lose. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> the opponent might just going to scoop anyways because they were like, <laughs> "Oh god, I'm good." This is this reminds me of like one of my very first winter streams where I I wastelanded my own underground sea accidentally i abrupt decayed my own nile rod accidentally and here's the best the very best part i cast dark blast on my own dark confident and i was like oh fuck and then the opponent fluster stormed it because they thought i had I, like re- there's i must have cast dark blast on their dark confident they didn't like how often do you really check whether the removal spell is hitting what you think it's gonna hit and they fluster stormed and i was like okay good I'm gonna do nice. it next turn again. <laughs> nice. Okay, we're we're way off here. You you have to take it from here. Well, I think we're actually getting towards the end. We are. We, that was our last clip. Um, do we have um, any general takeaways oh. of uh, evaluating cards? Yeah, just like fucking kick ass and do what you think is broken in legacy. And if it doesn't work out that way, whatever. You can always talk about it later on my podcast. There we go. There we have it, folks. That is how to evaluate cards. Just kick ass. And if you get it wrong, don't worry because you're not saying it on a podcast like us. So you don't have to like be bound to it and made fun of in a year's time. So I'm looking forward to <laughs> quoting that one in uh, episode 200. Uh, like, Julian, so what do you think now? And you're going to be drunk then as well. i be like, yeah, just kick more ass and Dude, break more cards. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I came to drink Spanish wine and kick more ass. Yeah, I'm, ma- I'm making the case for Spanish wine over French wine, and I don't know how many French patrons we have, but I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Maybe you're gonna send me French wine too. Actually, this is turning way too deep into a into a French podcast, into a French wine podcast, well, into a wine podcast. <laughs> we could get a guest on about uh, French wine. I think that's you know, touching about our Discord, we probably have a lot of experts on anything so. food and wine related. We have some like. I don't. I'm not a food person myself. I've said this a few times, but I do scroll through our everyday eternal, and uh, there is some fantastic looking stuff in there. Did I tell you that I just got a flamethrower? You did not. Like a tiny flamethrower. A so tiny I can, one. Like, I, I make sushi. Okay. Yeah, and if you if you want to like char your salmon for the sushi, so 
gets a different color and allegedly also the flavor changes but i guess that's just happening in your head i i literally got a tiny flamethrower and i'm actually really scared to use it because but yeah we, we will figure it out I, i'm gonna post pictures how it's gonna work out sounds good we well, yeah, i think um i think we're good to wrap it up there <laughs> what do you think awesome if you want to join our discord hit us up patreon.com slash everyday eternal become one member of our thriving patreon community check out all the awesome food questions and shit talking that happens on our channel shout out to everybody on the patreon also seriously shout out to everybody on patreon because you really are making sure that this thing keeps the light on lights on like we love this thing but time is money i think abraham franklin no james franklin no the guy with the light bulb light bulb man franklin benjamin franklin that's the guy the, the money guy the guy <laughs> oh, the money. I see. he said time is money and i mean that's really like how i can justify putting on like putting the time into all of this and you guys are mir- making a world of difference for me and everybody and uh, like it's thank you so much without any one of you in the patreon or even just like the greater legacy community he wouldn't be able to drink so much spanish wine <laughs> <laughs> i'd be drinking all the water here and i don't know how <laughs> that would work out but seriously you people make all of this work even by just listening talking about it or giving us money thank you so much for that i keep saying that i guess every other episode but i can't f- emphasize how much of a difference that makes so thank you so much for that i don't want to make it really awkward <laughs> but yeah that's that's the thing if you want to help us out leave us a review on patreon uh no fuck if you want to help us out leave us <laughs> review a review on patreon let's do it <laughs> fuck i can't get it <laughs> Go do the thing on the Apple Podcasts homepage <laughs> and say this cast rocks five stars all the way. And that's going to help a lot of other people join our community, become involved in Legacy, and learn about the teachings of Garuda, which I don't know, the card is illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. Hit us up on page, on Twitter at EternalMTG. Callum, where can people find you other than the UK? Um, this is where I always struggle. It's at White Faces and it's MTG on twitter or twitch and the other one doesn't have it i'll remember the it thing for is, one of i episodes. actually know it go on tell me you are at white faces mtg on twitter and on twitch you are at white faces no not at you are right faces uh, you got it you got it people cool. can watch you stream stuff thank you so much for getting us to 100 looking forward to all that's to come me too thank you so much to our eternal witness patrons Tommy Hanks, Trent Browers, Testacular, who just finished runner-up in the Legacy Challenge, Sebastian Holager, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzhuber, and drumroll, I don't know if you can hear this, Grizzlebrand Tier Supporters, Victor Benatzt, Bacho Butts, Gond Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henry Kirkhutz, Tom Hepp, Christopher Reinhardt, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Callum. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Magic Legacy. Have a good morning, evening, afternoon. See you again on the next cast. Bye bye. Kick kicking ass. Keep kicking ass. That's the one. one. We did it. Awesome. Here we go. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) 